Hey, good morning. Have we not been to church? Uh, Every time, it gets me every time. Not only have we sung God's praises, not only have we... Have we listened to, to, uh, what he's saying to us through that? But to see the children here, just like that, families gathering together, I always thought, and if you are there online wondering, should I get back to church? I kind of used to be there, but I'm not. Come on back. There's just something about this, right? A multi-generational church. I always thought one of the strongest things that could be said about a church outside of them, of course, obviously expressing their love for God, obviously treating each other with that kind of respect and, and sharing that word with people around. Yeah, I want my little two-year-old uh, grandkid or my, when I was younger, my little two-year-old kid to be able to run up an aisle, find some 90-year-old person sitting right there and jump in their, jump in their lap and just be loved by them. Yes? Is that not church? That's why it's so important that when you bring your children and they're here and they grow up and the church sees itself as kind of a greenhouse for families. This is where we bring our kids that they may grow up and be part of a family that fills out many, many gaps and gives strength to these many, many challenges that our world presents today. So it's just good to see everybody. It really is. If, if, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Preben Vang. I'm the pastor here during this, this interim, uh, season. And, um, and I, I can't begin on a day today, uh, without saying just, uh, one word at least about 9-11. This is 9-11, 21 years ago. I think most all of us remember exactly where we were when we heard that. Some of you uh, were not even born at that time, and, and we understand that, but the world changed. Something happened that we are still trying to work out. I remember exactly where, where I were that moment. Someone just crashed open uh, a door. I had a very early kind of Greek class for all things, right? And someone crashed open the door and just in the rudest way said, you got to come out and see this. There's something and someone has, has attacked the U.S. And everything uh, was changed. Lots of prayer. I was pastoring First Baptist Church of Little Rock. Uh, at the time, and we gathered for prayer that very Tuesday night, and again the Wednesday night and the Thursday night, and there was an outpouring of just a sense of a need for God in strong, strong ways. Yes? We still have that need, friends. So let's not stop that. But this is the day that we remember that. And I don't want to get, get lost in that, but it is still a day that is hard to just kind of pass by. Um, with all of this. And you know, if I can say a little kind of uh, encouraging thing on that, whatever, a joyful thing on that, it's also my son-in-law's birthday today, so he just made sure I'll never forget that. Um, so Michael, if you listen in, here it is. Happy birthday to you. Uh, I want you to turn, if you can, to uh, Luke's chapter 14. We are in a series uh, now where we are dealing with, with uh, Jesus' parables about wedding banquets. And, and we are kind of seeing here, he's comparing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet. And he does several, several uh, parables on that, which expresses the reality that uh, life with him 
A life in the kingdom of God ought to be a life full of joy and, and festivity in a sense, right? And, and this sense of, of, of belonging and being together and, and finding joy even in difficult things. And so uh, the first uh, Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago, if you were not able to be here, they are still uh, on uh, you, our YouTube channel. Uh, we looked at the invitation going out. To the banquet, we saw how that invitation went everywhere to all people. Some excused themselves. They thought what they were doing were more important than to find that joy that was offered inside the banquet hall. And then, and then the last Sunday, we looked at at the preparation and right there we got close to the door and some were were ready wanted to go in. Some talked as if they wanted to go in, but they were still left outside. And then today we're inside in the banquet hall and we're looking at the seating. I think most of us have tried to work on seating arrangement for major banquets, right? Certainly if you've been part of any kind of wedding planning of any sort, your own or someone else's, you know the struggle with this, yes? Seating matters. You're trying to get people seated in such a way for probably a long formal kind of thing that they have a truly enjoyable time and and so you're thinking through how do I do this well we got all the talking heads we got to put them together someplace they can wear each other out (laughs) then we have all these people that never say a word and we can't put them together because if that will have a whole section where nobody says a word for an hour or more right uh, so we scatter them out. And then we have this impossible aunt or uncle, that person that nobody really want to be because they're very particular and they have an opinion that needs to be expressed on every little issue. So who do we find that has the grace and the politeness to kind of withstand a long time next to that person without coming unglued? No, and then we have uh, those who think that everything ought to be a debate and, and they want to discuss everything hard and, and we need to kind of not put them together. We'll have a shouting shout match pretty quick. And then the issue of interest and then the issue of age. You wore out. It's easy to be wore out just thinking about it, yes? But here's the thing, friends. Seatings at a table is not something that we're struggling with in modern era. It has always been an issue. In fact, there's so much an issue, even at Jesus' time, that when he could just, without explanation, just give an illustration, a parable about the seating at a table. And people got it. You know, parables are not about about trying to find and, and applying every little detail to all little things. It's Jesus taking a very common event and just saying, this is what it is, and you get my point, I trust. That's pretty much what the parable is all about. But all the way through history, seating at the table have had a significant kind of place in cultures. It may change from culture to culture and certainly from time to time or from age to age, but it's always been an issue. So with Jesus not giving any further explanation why he's bringing this up, let's read together from chapter 14 of the Gospel of Luke beginning in verse 7. 
Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may be, have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may then come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that the one who invited you comes and he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch, or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and then you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know this this parable uh, about the wedding table is first and foremost about people's relationship to God and then because of that to each other. It, it, it is about actually how do we understand how God's placing of us relates even to the way we live our daily lives. If Jesus is still talking and speaking in, in parables about wedding banquets to help us understand that there's a way in which our understanding of God's kingdom and the way we live in it can bring joy that could be missed. That's really what it's all about. How do you live in the presence of God? That's the point. We are inside the banquet hall, don't forget. We are there in that presence. We are being seated around the table. What is the highest experience then in the kingdom of God or in the daily life with God? And if you notice the way Jesus speaks about these things, he is not saying just, oh, here's a list of rules you need to go. He's not reinventing the law. He's always talking about the heart's attitude. You see that also in the Sermon on the Mount, of course, when he says, you know, it is said to those of old. And then he brings up a law. He said, but I say unto you. And then he brings up an attitude that fulfills almost automatically the other things. So here... It's a direct reference to how God looks at us. Those of us who are his. Those of us who belong to him. And it says that it is, does not matter. It's not about what kind of place that you can make for yourself in the kingdom of the world. It's about what place God gives you in the kingdom of God. So don't miss this, friends. And so here is the very point of Jesus' parable. 
He is simply saying that those who are trying to take a place of honor for themselves will find themselves missing it, whereas those who see themselves as not really worthy of that, and therefore they just see themselves as servant in God's kingdom, they will suddenly find themselves in places and in the presence of God at a level that they have never even imagined. And so he says it about as blunt and as straightforward as anyone could imagine when he says in verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humble and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Can we look back in the text and try to pay attention to some of the, some of the finer things that are happening here? What he's talking about, as I already mentioned, of course, is the attitude that should characterize those who are in the kingdom of God. That is, those who belong to God. As we who are here and, and other people who, who gather in his name in other places. What's going on? What should characterize us? How are we are to understand what it means to live in the presence of God? in this life and on this earth. And so Jesus describes that by talking about humility. What he says is that to get that kind of experience of this higher presence of God, if you will, you know, to, to stay in the parable. And again, don't press details. That's not what parables are for. You know, to kind of be, be, be moved up, so to speak, to have an intenser or more intense experience of, of God's presence. Be closer, if you will, to use the, that old hymn, closer, my God, to thee. This is how we get there. And he uses that word, humility. And friends, that's a word we all struggle with. I don't know any person that doesn't struggle with that in some way or another. It's just hard for human beings to kind of deal with this. Regardless of what we say, regardless of all the rules we may say uh, set up for equality, regardless of how much we affirm that we agree with such rules that, that no one is above someone else and all that, it is quickly noticed that these things are hard. Humility does not come easy for human beings. And yet, that's the highlight. And maybe you think it's a modern thing, but it's not. It was always the issue. Jesus here is, is pointing almost directly to the book of Proverbs. I had written thousand a year before him, right? And so, so he's saying here, uh, quoting, he's not quoting, but, but summarizing, if you will. Listen to what the book of Proverbs says here. Don't boast about yourself before the king and don't stand in the place of the great. For it is better for him to say to you, come up here, than to demote you in plain view of a noble person. You know, even Jesus' disciples struggled with that. Even two of those that were extra close to him, if you will, if there's such a thing as an inner circle, it would be John and James, for example, right, Peter. But John and James said, using that same illustration, that same kind of notion, they say, 
When you get to heaven, would you make sure that you reserve the seat to the left and to the right of the throne for us? That is, those seats of honor. They struggled with that. If you don't remember that story and, and, or you have forgotten uh, where it is, just look in Mark chapter 10 and you'll see even the context for that. So you can't help but to wonder, why is he bringing this up? Of, of all the things you said in these parables about wedding banquets, why is he bringing this up? This point of humility. It seems to be there could be other things that were more important than just speaking about humility. In fact, is he trying to say to us that, that we should not really strive, if I can stay in that picture, strive after the better seat at the table, God's table? No, that's not what he's saying at all. If he's saying anything like that, it is to say, if you do, make sure you understand the way that's done. And it comes through humility. It comes through an understanding that you are set to serve. That's the attitude, not the sense of I have the right to be served. Some of you may know that book. If, it's, if you don't, take note here and put it on that list. I said, I need to read that before next week. The book is called The Hiding Place. It is written by Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was, was this, this lady, majestic um, stature of, 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 of just uh, maturity beyond belief from Holland or from the Netherlands, as we, we say in the U.S., uh, that, that kind of hit Jews in her house when the Nazis were coming to take them to concentration camps. Finally, she was found out and she was thrown in concentration camp as well, along with her sister. Her sister died and things were just terrible and you can read about all these kinds of things. And then she comes out and she survives. And some bold little young journalist asks her and says, Mrs. Corten Boom, now that it's all over and you look back and everybody kind of celebrating your sacrifice and, and all you did and your unselfish and all that stuff that all you went through, is it not hard not to be proud but to stay humble? Listen to her answer. She said, my young man, do you remember the story of Jesus on the great entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday here, right? The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Where people came and they were waving palm branches. They were taking off their coats and their shirts and other things to throw on the ground to show him honor. And they were praising and they were, they were uh, adoring. They were doing all that. Do you think at any time during that that the donkey thought it was probably for him? And she said, probably not. If I can just be the donkey that carries Christ to
to his destination and to his glory. I'll be honored. Friends, when that stuff comes from a genuine heart, that is humility. And I need to speak to that just a little bit because it can be misunderstood. Humility is not about feeling degraded. It is not that you feel you're inferior or not worth as much as other people. It is not that you somewhat consider it an honor to be kind of trampled upon and pushed aside and all of that. That is not humility. That's poor self-esteem. Don't confuse the two. Humility in the biblical understanding of that word means that you know your place before God. You recognize that he's God and you're not. (laughs) But he has put a calling on your life to represent him and his kingdom wherever you are among other people. So easy to misunderstand that word, humility. It is not the same as being self-effacing. It is not the same as, uh, as saying, I can't do anything. I'm no good for anything. It is not the same as, as kind of hiding around the wall and make sure you're never seen by, by anyone. That's not humility. That is, as I said before, it is poor self-esteem. In fact, it's more than that. It is lack of faith. It is lack of faith that God can use you Exactly because he has called you, he will give you the strength and the gift to serve him. In the biblical understanding of the word humility, if you take it out of kind of a, a factual value, that word, which of course we should do, the word is referring to the fact that you recognize that God is God and you're a human being. He's your creator. You're his creation. And therefore, your response to him is, yes, Lord, I will serve you. That's humility in the biblical sense of that term. And it goes all the way back. That whole issue of pride. Remember the story of of Israel, God's people, all the way back in Deuteronomy. And and if you want to follow along, uh, you don't have to do it now, but if you take notes of of any kind, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, he's highlighting that very fact, how easy it is to get things upside down. He says, when you eat and are are full and build beautiful houses to live in. When your herds and your flock uh, grows large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. What's the background for this? Because the text continues. I'm the God who led you out of captivity who took you through the wilderness, who gave you water from the rock when you were thirsty and manna from the sky when you were hungry. And why? Let's go on for a few more verses and it says, because I wanted to humble you and to test you. 
That doesn't mean to make you nothing and low, but to make you realize who is your God. That's where that is with this. Powerful as it can be, you see what's going on. What Jesus is saying here with this parable is to remind you that it is God who is God. He is the one who's calling you. Your dependence is upon him, not the other way around. He invited you to the table, not the other way around. He's not asking you to come in and say, well, what do I gain from this? He's asking you to say, my Lord, how do I serve the one who is my master? And this is so foundational, friends. It is so fundamental in the Christian life that this is baby steps. And you know, baby steps is at the beginning of life, yes? If you don't get that right, all the other steps won't work well. You got to get this right because everything else will build on that. From there you grow and you walk stronger and stronger. The true foundation is to recognize the genuine relationship with, between you and God and how that affects how you then have relationship with other people. From there comes the experience of the banquet. To be in that hall where the music is right, where joy overflows, where everything it's just right. Even when you get to sit with some of these people, you'd rather sit or wet at another table. Do you hear me? There you go with this. To get honor is a good thing. But honor must always be given. It is not honor if it's something you take. You take. For yourself. So let me see how I can round this up for us all here, right? We, we live in a situation now that look a whole lot like the ancient Greek world that Jesus lived in, right? And it looks a lot more like that than it looks like what he's talking about here. In the ancient Greek world, it was considered a weakness, a low status if you're humble. It was not, you're not supposed to be humble. The old Greeks, it, ha- it was about being served, not about serving. And you can hear the clash then when Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Direct clash with his culture. Among these old Greeks, uh, whatever saturated their culture is so much like ours. And ours is so permeate and so permeating and so strong that even people who have met the grace of God sometimes can fall into that. That we look more like those who have not met grace. But don't forget when Peter says, the apostle, he says, God shows grace to the humble. And here's what he's kind of highlighting here back in the text with Jesus from verse 12 uh, and going forward. He says, when you invite people, 
don't invite those that can pay you back. In other words, don't serve for your own benefit. They will invite you back. Serve those who cannot invite you back. God will see your heart. God will know what's going on. And the reward comes through that. He gives it to you. And you'll see it as a participant in this banquet that has already started. It's not here in full. It's going to be a time when it's going to be nothing but. But it's here already. So don't miss that. Paul is using that exact same kind of notion when he says, let us not grow weary of doing what is right. Because at that time, we'll come to reap. We just should not give up. So to summarize, what is humility? It is to know your place in relationship to God. And because of that, recognize how he calls you to serve. How is that done? Well, the book of Hebrews kind of spells it out for us. Consider him. Just look to Jesus, right? The one that Philippians, so Paul says in Philippians, he did not consider equality with God anything special. Consider him who endured such hostility from those around him, sinners against himself, and yet, Because you consider him, you won't grow weary of being the one he has called you to be. Can I end end by, by simply saying this? Notice humility is not a spiritual gift. It's not something given to some and not others. This is a foundational Christian trait. It is foundational, fundamental for your relationship to God and to his son, Jesus Christ. And when you experience that in your heart as a genuine reality, read court and boom, I've just said, right? You'll see some of that. So many others can, can testify to that. You'll find yourself filled with a different kind of joy because that is the opposite. Or what steals it? When you wonder, why is Jesus highlighting this? I think he's doing that because it is when that goes, everything else comes in. See, if you're truly humble, there's no room for irritation. There's no room for anger. There's no room for for feeling stepped over. Because you didn't have that pride to begin with that they shouldn't do that. Yes? So you can come at it. With the joy. Freedom is another word for nothing left behind. It's the word of a song that some of you are old enough to remember, right? Freedom's just another word. Oh, yes, you didn't sing. Okay. Freedom is just another word for understanding what genuine humility is all about. That's what the text is here. And when that happens, true joy will find you in ways you have not known. 
a sense of the presence of God will grow even to measures. We are thinking, I thought I have been there. I now see he moved me up. Father, will you speak to us with power? Even this moment. People here in this room, people watching online who needed to meet with you in a different way to to hear this word about your description of the foundation, of the attitude, foundational attitude that should carry those who call themselves by your name. Father, we ask for our children as we saw them here today that that may be what they come to know from reading the words, the book that comes from your heart. That book that gives wisdom and guidance for life. For homes, for parents, for grandparents, for friends, those who look after all of us. May that be what also oozes from this church, in the Sunday school rooms, in the hallways, in the sanctuary, and from here, out our doors, into our neighborhoods. I ask you'll speak, Father. Not just that we may hear something, but we may hear with the convicting word that you're speaking to us and you say, you're in my hall. You're in my banquet. Place yourself where I can move you even closer. Holy Spirit. Work among us and within us.